my favorite stories growing up is the tale of Peter Pan. Uh, it's a story by an author named J.M. Barry, and um, the character Peter Pan, he's this free-spirited, mischievous young boy. He can fly, and he never wants to grow up. He spends his time on this mythical island called Neverland, and he leads a group called the Lost Boys, and he interacts with these fairies and these mermaids and the Darling family and pirates. And when I was nine, um, there was a movie came out. I think most of you guys have seen it, but it's one of my favorites. It's called Hook, and it's a retelling um, of part of this story. And I would watch it over and over again, and there's flying, and there's fighting these bad guys and having fun. But I was also like nine at the time. So um, children can enjoy these stories for what they are, and um, there's little lessons you might be able to get out of them and things like that. And I think we've seen that um, Disney takes a lot of these stories that honestly usually have a, like, a very complex plot to them. Um, they can be very dark and not always have a happy ending, and they'll try to simplify them for like, entertaining an audience. And I'm not knocking Disney for doing this. Um, and there's some good moral lessons that we could usually hear from the story of Peter Pan. But one of the main themes that's told often is um, the motto for this place, Neverland, is to never grow up. And I don't feel that most people in our church would like ascribe to this motto as like the basis for how you'd want to live your life necessarily. Um, at least I hope you don't. <laughs> and if you do ascribe to this motto for living your life, I will warn you that I think it'll end badly for you. Um, but there is a title for some who do ascribe to this motto. It's called Peter Pan Syndrome. And the premise of this is that um, just adults or people that are the age of adults just don't grow up. So this is a, a real thing that's technically out there. And so most of us, I would hope in this church, like wouldn't make the mistake of using these lessons we learned as nine-year-olds from Peter Pan as some basis for how we would want to live our lives. Um, but what we get to talk about today is how we want to often take what I'll call simple, unrefined lessons, and we will draw a, a wrong conclusion from them. So most of us will never suffer what I would call Peter Pan syndrome. But I do believe that most of us have been hearing what I would call the Disney version of Daniel in the Lion's Den. Um, so the text we get to learn from today will guard us what I would call Daniel syndrome. So we get the pleasure to talk through what I would call one of the most famous stories of the Bible today. I think we've all heard this in some context over the course of our lives. It's probably like a top three story that we've heard through Sunday school. And there's many themes that I think we can go through and all have truths in them from, from Daniel and the Lion's Den. But there's one general theme that as we start, I would like for us to walk back for those that have probably misheard this story. Um, and that is that if you trust God and you believe that he will protect you, that you'll be rewarded and that your life will be good and satisfying. Um, that you will not be harmed, and that you will be safe. This is not the point of this story. 
there are many wonderful things that we're going to learn going through this scripture together, but this is not one of those points. Because we don't see this anywhere in the Bible else either taught, and we need to get this false premise out of our head. Um, so this teaching of Daniel Lyons, that I actually think has done more harm, this, this story being told incorrectly, to many people, Christians and non-Christians, of hearing this story incorrectly, um, where people make Daniel the hero of the story. And we would just say, just be like Daniel. Um, people have heard this, and, they're, and they've just been disappointed in their Christian walk with this mindset. So this story is one of the more popular ones that there is. And, and here is a fun secret. Well, I, I hope it's not a secret after today. That this story is so much better and more glorious than we could ever imagine. So, if you don't mind, please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We get to read through that together. All right. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials of the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, 
that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives... And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. To this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So a few things that I would like for us to consider as we, as we walk through this story together is why is this story written? So we, this is the sixth chapter of a, of a narrative story that Daniel is writing. Uh, the rest of the chapters are more prophetic. Um, and we know that this book of Daniel was meant to be written and read as an encouragement to the Jews that are living in exile. But why this specific chapter? We've already gone through five other ones. And if you haven't heard those, feel free to go back and listen or read through. But if you want to read a story in the book of Daniel, no less, about following God, living in exile in a foreign land, being persecuted for it, um, influencing kings. Um, we just read a similar story to this three chapters prior involving Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, and think about this also. In the beginning of this chapter, as we just read, Daniel's pretty much made the prime minister of Persia. Um, and at the end of chapter 6, Daniel is still the prime minister of Persia. So we now have 20 to 30 verses in between where stuff's going on. Like what, why is God putting all of this stuff here? Um, how is this meant to encourage the people that will be reading this later? Um, so some background here.
we'll get into, we haven't done Daniel in a, in a few weeks, is that Daniel still is living in Babylon, um, but he's now much older. He's probably 80-ish right now than he had been in the previous stories we read through. And he's under a new ruler, and not just a new ruler, it's a whole new empire. Like a whole empire has come and gone since he's been in Babylon. And this is now called the Medo-Persian Empire. And all the while, Daniel is still there. Nebuchadnezzar is gone, Belshazzar is gone, and Daniel is now having to prove himself to this second empire. And the name of this um, governor, or whatever you would call him, is Darius. And there's debate as to who Darius is, uh, whether he is the actual king or if he's just a governor under Cyrus. And some think that Cyrus and Darius are the same person, and that Cyrus is the Persian name and that Darius is the Mede name. But regardless, the name that's relevant in this story is Darius. And it says early on in chapter 6, it says, we see that there is a loss happening in the kingdom. It says that, th that there may be no loss. And what this actually means is that amongst these satraps and rulers is that there's corruption and deceit happening amongst them. Um, and Darius is just looking for the right people to put in charge that are honest and not corrupt. And it seems that amongst these satraps and rulers, corruption is very common. It's, it's the norm. And Daniel stood out so much that he is effectively made, he's a, he is effectively made prime minister for the whole Persian Empire. These other satraps and officials, they see their system of, of goodies being wiped away and so they're kind of doing whatever they can to hold on to it. Um, and there's now someone here um, who is incorruptible. And what these satraps and officials are effectively in is we traditionally would call it like a good old boy club or like the swamp, right? Um, so they recognize that Daniel, he's given this power and authority that will effectively end this way of thinking. So they make up something, and they effectively set a trap that appeals to the hubris and pride of Darius, the, the ruler here. So they know that Daniel is this exiled Hebrew Jew, and they know that he prays to his God often. So they create a law that literally only goes after Daniel, and it's effectively a trap. And guess what? It works. So the king gives in to this kind of appeal to his hubris and pride, and he passes this law. Is anybody ever familiar with the term the Hammurabi Code? This, so the Hammurabi Code is a pretty famous kind of rule of law, one of the first ones that was out there. And one of the things that comes from it, it means that once a law is passed, it cannot be overturned. So it's one of the premises behind what this, this law is. And you see that mentioned over and over and over again that once the law is passed, it can't be overturned. So he passes this law. And what needs to be noted, though, is that, is that Darius actually likes Daniel. And he probably likes him for many reasons. But he ultimately found Daniel to be honest and trustworthy and incorruptible. And Daniel was also just going to let him keep a lot of his money, <laughs> too. That's, I'm sure there's a helpful part in that. There's just less waste. But he had passed this law, and his pride just doesn't allow him to, to fight it at all. So he has to save face, and he turns Daniel over for breaking what I would call a feckless law. 
So we got some background out of, out of the way here. And it, it's right to look at Daniel as a model of sorts for how we should follow God. I don't, I don't want to dismiss that. And we're going to talk through some things here that are good to, for us to model from what Daniel is showing us here. Um, there's good practical lessons that we can glean from this. So one of these is, is perseverance. Um, Daniel actually wasn't born in Babylon. He was born in Jerusalem, and he was kind of this rising star in the Jewish court. And then he gets taken away to Babylon. I don't think we ever get the impression he loves being in Babylon. Um, he's transported away from his home, and when we see that he's praying, he's praying back toward Jerusalem. So it's kind of always in his mind. And we could look at him as this model for perseverance, and we as Christians should, should persevere like Daniel. And I'm not going to um, disagree with any of that. But this is not ultimately why this story is being told in regards to perseverance. We could look at how Daniel is faithful in his work. He did well in the jobs that he was given. Um, he was faithful in them. He even excelled. It, the scripture says that he has an excellent spirit about him. And it's good for us in society to have, to have good public servants of sorts. It's good for us to have good policemen, good teachers. Like, these are all good things, and if you're in one of these, these professions, it would be good to model how Daniel did things and do well with this and be seen as having an excellent spirit about you. But this is still not ultimately why this story is told, for us to be encouraged in our faithful, to be faithful in our work. And then we can talk about Daniel's prayer life. And there's probably, not probably, I know for a fact, there's whole books written just on Daniel's prayer life. He lived this consistent life in prayer. It seems to be this constant thing for him. It's not like, in this scenario, it's not like Daniel's looking for a fight um, as he's going through this. Like, he's not saying, how can I tick everyone off today <laughs> um, and get killed? That, that's not what's happening here. And so in verse 10, it says, He's praying as he had done previously. So it's not like this law is passed and he just starts something from scratch just to, just to start fighting with them. And we actually forget, I think, that the law that was actually passed, it, it's kind of a feckless law, I would say. Like, so first off, the law that's passed is only good for 30 days. It's not like this is happening for forever. It's, it's only for 30 days long. And here's this other kicker that I think is even more interesting, is that the law does not say that you have to pray to the king. It's not demanding or commanding that you have to pray to this king. It just says that if you are going to pray, that it has to be to the king. So if you're just not a person who prays, um, or prays much, or like you potentially could go 30 days and whatever, and your life is spared. So, um, but Daniel had made a habit of praying three times a day, as we saw that he, since he had done previously. So my guess is that it was well known before this law was passed that everybody already knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. And he, he did it in his house facing Jerusalem. Like, this is well known about him. Um, so the drummed up law, it, it's pretty much meant to go after Daniel. That, that's, that's what it is. And yet... 
Still, this story is not about Daniel's prayer life. And while we should emulate it, uh, this is not the main point to be getting out of this story. So we've now kind of gone through what I would say, trying to walk back what I would say are, are some preconceived, baked in, possibly lazy interpretations of this text. And I pray we can, we can glean some fresh encouragement from this passage. So in reading through this text, one thing that, that should be noticed, and remember Daniel's the author of this, is that Daniel only speaks once in all 28 verses that we read. He only speaks once. So I, I think it's important that we look at what he is actually saying, because he seems to be stressing something here. So in verse 21, it says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. So we've now gone through some, some old themes to draw from this passage, but there is significance to what he's saying here regarding the lions and this angel of the Lord. Now, at first glance, it's probably true that Daniel really is innocent in terms of how he was serving the Lord and this king in Babylon. But there is something larger happening here, and the imagery of these lions has great significance. To the Jewish people especially, lions throughout scripture were seen as a figure of God's judgment, and not just any judgment, God's judgment. And metaphorically, the Hebrew people hearing about lions in these stories, it was so commonplace that they understood this imagery really well. And as Americans, I was, I was trying to think, like, what's an example of this for us, of imagery that we think? And, and the best one I could think of is, like, a, a bald eagle. Like, for us, the bald eagle has this American typology to it of we, we consider liberty and freedom and strength when we think of them. Well, when it comes to the lions, Hebrews had a, had a place for this when they're, when they're mentioned in stories in Scripture. So... With lions, not only do they devour things, but they also roar. Um, so has anyone here ever heard a lion's roar, like in person, before? And if you haven't, we're going to tee up a little video here real quick. I want you to, I want you to hear this. And we, we'll pump up this volume, because I, I, I think this needs to be... Okay, um, yeah, so um, I have never heard one roar live in person before, um, but and, and hearing that, like, it, it's, it's this immense, what I'll call fear-inducing, like, almost like a, a, a thing of thunder that you're not prepared to, to hear, um, and when you hear something like that, like, like your heart is pounding fast, um, you can feel your pulse. You don't have to find it. Like, you, you can feel it. Your, your face feels flush. Uh, your hair is tingling on your skin. 
juxtaposed with, so if you've ever faced an accusation of judgment before, and when I'm talking about this, it's like, it's something that you're also not expecting. Um, like your deepest, darkest secret has been found out. Um, you're, you're about to be exposed for something and you have no way to, to cover it. Um, and once again, when those happens, like you're, you get hot, your face is flush, you're breathing fast and hard, and you have been found out. So this lion's roar of judgment is meant to portray that this same sense and awaiting of our judgment. And scripture does mention this often. I'm going to go through a few passages where it talks about this. And so Amos 1-2 says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Job 4.10 says, The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. Jeremiah 2.15 says, The lions have roared against him, they have roared loudly, they have made his land a waste. So the lion's mouths being shut here, it's not just important in terms of Daniel's life being physically safe. But Daniel is now also, he's safe from any kind of legal or judicial judgment here. And remember, in this specific circumstance, Daniel really is innocent. But, but there's bigger, deeper things being pointed to here. He says that he was found blameless before the Lord. He happened to also be found blameless before the king. But he keenly mentions first that he was found blameless before the Lord. And so I'm not sure if we've mentioned this. I think we have. But Daniel has two names. And his Babylonian name is Belteshazzar. And his Hebrew name, Daniel, this is, I think this is great. His name means God is my judge. Hebrews do this great. Like, I love that they're all the meaning that goes with the Hebrew language and names. But... So Daniel's name literally means God is my judge. Like it, like it could be the summation for the first six chapters that we've gone through. It's just the, the title of the name itself, God is my judge. Like it, it gives a good summary right there, just in the name itself. So he doesn't forget who he serves ever. And at this point for 80 years, he knows that God is his judge. And the fact about the roars of judgment from these lions being silenced this is meant to be an, a massive encouragement for the people of God. Because they're often hearing and reading about God's judgment like a roaring lion. And the hope that they can hear in this is this possibility that this roar of judgment is now silenced or accounted for somehow. So we're talking roars. And then we also need to think about this angel that shows up. So Daniel says, my God sent his angel. And so as good as, and righteous as Daniel is in this story, we must remember that it, it is not Daniel who shuts the mouths of these lions. It's the angel. It's the angel the Lord sent. And we've seen this angel already appear in Babylon, like we said three chapters prior, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, this guy, this angel, seems pretty important. And the reality, this figure either actually is in some sort of Christophany imagery, Jesus, or he's at least pointing to Jesus. 
Um, and what we see in this imagery is that Jesus shares much in common with Daniel. So guys, this gets good. Let's, let's, let's go. So it says, so Jesus and Daniel, they both trust God. They both live in exile. They were both conspired against unfairly. Um, no charges of corruption could be found against either of them. They both had rulers try and kind of like unsuccessfully um, save them from, from uh, their punishment. They were both put into a, a tomb or a pit. They were both covered, both pits and were covered with a sealed stone. Um, the king found Daniel alive early the next morning, and Jesus was also found raised from his tomb. And this imagery, I think we find this even better, and we're going to be doing some kind of scripture uh, jumping here a little bit, but I, I just found this a few months ago, and, and I, I'm excited to share this with you. And if you guys do this beforehand, I'm actually, I'm actually upset you didn't share with me prior, because this is pretty good. So, so Matthew 27, 46, the, the stage is this, is, is Jesus is on the cross. And he's up there, and it's one of the last things that he says. Matthew 27, 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lime sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in this verse, the context is Jesus is on the cross. He is bearing the weight of the sin of the world. And what can come across as as agony from Jesus and loneliness and just this pure, raw suffering that only he can bear. And these are all true. This is actually happening. When he says that, there's actually hope in what he says here. Because what he's doing is when he says that, he is referencing Psalm 22. Um, so Psalm 22 is this prophetic psalm that, that's predicting um, Jesus' crucifixion on the cross for us. Um, and it's this wonderful psalm. Um, and Psalm 22, within it, it's this prediction of Jesus' crucifixion. He references it here. But within that, here's a few things that are said. So Psalm 22, 12, 13, it says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And then later on, it says, save me from the mouth of the lion. So Jesus is taking on and receiving the roaring lion of God. Remember we said that the lions represent God's judgment? Well, let's look back on what Daniel says when he's in this pit. He says, the Lord sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. They did not harm me, and I was found blameless in his sight and yours. Well, the reason that Daniel was able to have these lions' mouths shut, and ultimately why they'll end up shut for us, is because Jesus took the roaring of the lions and God's judgment for us. These lions' mouths might have been shut for Daniel, but they were not shut for Jesus. And everything Daniel is going through and surviving was possible because Jesus first went through it alone. And Daniel didn't die in this situation because Jesus eventually would. And unlike Daniel, we actually are guilty. But we're guilty for a lot more and much worse. 
and Daniel, and he would not die only so Daniel wouldn't have to, but he, but Jesus dies for us as well. And the way that these these mouths, these lines are shut, this is another aspect of this that I think even, it makes it even better, is the way he shuts these isn't simple. So remember back in Daniel 3, we're talking about the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, there's a Jesus-type figure there as well. But why couldn't the Lord have stopped either of these stories like ahead of time? There's a whole progression of things where the Lord could have stepped in and stopped these scenarios from happening. Any number of places where that happened. Well, there's some despair in this, but, but ultimately hope. And part of the reason for these stories is to share with us that we will have like our own figurative lion's dens. Um, well, I hope that they're figurative. I'll put it that way. If you end up with your own literal lion's den, I, I would love to hear that story. But any figuratively, we will have these pits and despairs. And this text says nothing that we will be saved from these trials and tribulations. Nowhere is that in here. And the reality is, as far as for Daniel, as far as we know, he never makes it back to Jerusalem. He stays in Babylon his whole life. And he does eventually die. So th these are some hard truths, but, but there's a better answer. And here's the, here it is. We will face hard things in our lives. And, and sometimes it might be for our faith. We might be persecuted. Like, these things very well could happen. But much more often than not, it's going to look like everyday ordinary issues that we're going to see. It's going to be sickness. It's going to be cancer. It's going to be the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, or a car breaking down, a recession. Um, it could be brokenness in our friendships and relationships. It could be brokenness in families. It, it might even be mental health. Even deeper than that, it, it could just be stuff between our own ears and our heads often. That, that we're feeling. And the big point to get out of this is that we do not face these problems alone. So his promise isn't that we won't face trials in this world or that everything will be okay. His promise is that he will be with us. And in being with us, he shuts the mouths of these metaphorical lines in our lives. Um, and with that, so there's no better time than for the enemy, the accuser, to attack than we are living in these pits. Um, so guys, there is a true roar of judgment from God, um, and one unlike Daniel that we, that we deserve. And Jesus took that roar of judgment. But honestly, the roar that we will most likely be hearing is from the devil. Um, do not believe these lying roars when you're in the pit. Jesus took the roaring of these lions so we did not have to. And when Jesus is with us, all senses of guilt and despair should go away. And if you are feeling that guilt and despair, know that it is not from God. The angel of the Lord goes with Daniel and his friends in these situations because that's who Jesus is. He suffers alone on that cross 
because only he could, so that we may never suffer alone. And it still gets better, okay? So let's remember back to verse 18. It says that King Darius is unable to eat or sleep. It says here that then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. There's a juxtaposition here that's important. You have the ruler of the Persian Empire, probably the largest kingdom at the time. He has all money, power, luxury, and creature comfort at his disposal. And in the world's eyes, there's no possible reason why he should not be sleeping right now. And Daniel, on the other hand, is probably in like one of the most stressful situations you can imagine. He's in this cold, cramped pit with these beastly lions. And Daniel probably has one of the best night's sleep possible. So why is Daniel able to be at rest and sleeping and at peace while the king of the modern world time can't eat or sleep? And, and I think as Americans, we actually can understand this a little better. Um, unfortunately, we can, we can actually relate to Darius here. Um, there's a stat that says that 43% of Americans suffer from anxiety. Um, so like, and with that comes this restlessness, a lack of sleep. So we, we can relate to Darius here. And I would dare say that 2,600 years later, we probably have more creature comforts than Darius did now. So there's many reasons why you would think that we should be able to sleep well and not be in these situations. But anyway, so there's, here's this good news. Daniel probably sleeps better than Darius that night. So we saw the video of this lion roaring. We are talking about the imagery of these lions. Well, there's more imagery involving lions as well. These lions, they do occasionally roar and hunt. But most of the time when you see lions, they're the most contented, peaceful, just lazy-looking animals you'll ever find. And I want to kind of show you another one of these just to sense of just, yeah, they, yeah. Um, that's a much different picture than the one we just saw, right? Yeah. So th these are lions. Um, um, so the lions do occasionally roar and hunt, but they're often like that. And then I remembered, you have to follow me on this, lions are a member of the cat family. Um, I mean, you want to talk about an animal that has figured out peace, right, cats. Um, and very rarely do you find a stressed out cat. And when you do, stay far away from it and make sure that you're wearing long sleeves. Um, and I would say that my family, we have two cats, and I'll be the first to confess, I'm not a big cat fan. Um, and those of you that have cats probably can, can picture what we're about to talk about here a little better. But, but heck, if I don't look at those cats sometimes and I think, man, I wish I could rest like that. <laughs> like, there's a, a piece there. Um, I think God actually gives us as a, as a picture to us of at times. And so we mentioned that these lions are referenced often in scripture and in scripture their lions are mentioned 39 times. Um, 
And we reference lying as being this imagery for judgment, but there's another reference to lions that's in Isaiah 11 that I want us to consider. So 11, it's a famous scripture pointing us to heaven. Here's what it says. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So this is a pretty famous scripture. Most of us have heard it before. It points to heaven. And it shows us how things once were in the garden and how they will be finally in heaven. And Daniel having his life spared from these lions, it's usually referenced as, as a miracle. And rightfully so, it is. And the Bible is full of miracles. But I found the following Tim Keller quote that I, that I think will be helpful in how we think about miracles. Is that, here it is. We often think of miracles as suspensions of the natural order. They are actually restorations of the natural order. Miracles show us what heaven will be. And this is not the outlier. This is the norm. So not only is this angel of the Lord to come with us into our figurative lion's dens and problems so that we don't face them alone, he does this also and he gives us a taste of heaven. Guys, heaven at its core is, is communing with Jesus. And this is effectively what Daniel is doing in this den. Like, he might as well have his own little heaven down there. Um, so while we'll still have sickness and broken relationships and money problems and cancer, one day those things will be no more. And the occasional miracle will actually turn into a restoration of perfection full of peace and joy and harmony. There will be no more anxiety, no more stress, no more pains, no more aches, no more hospitals. Relationships will be restored. We are promised all these things eventually. In the meantime, we have one who is with us when we experience these things. So we, we, we asked ultimately at the start, why has this story been put here? It's meant to be an encouragement to the Hebrew people, and it shows um, showing his faithfulness to them and trusting their God. This story shows us that, that God took our roaring from the lions, from what we deserve, and that he is with us in our trials and tribulations. It shows us what things will be when we commune with heaven, commune in heaven with Jesus. So, so maybe, maybe seek to be cured from our Daniel syndrome and keep far from the, from the fairy tale, Neverland, synthetic thoughts of a Jesus that comes across as some kind of myth, mystical wish granter who gives us fairy dust. Um, and if this, if this Jesus is new to you or, or what you've heard about him today is new, I, I want you to consider this. He made this possible to hear the, ro the roar of the lions no more. This is possible to you. So I ask that, that you would repent and give all your earned judgment over to him. Give him all of your anxiety and your fear and your brokenness. 
He desires to be with you in your pits. So invite him in to be with your pits, because he is Emmanuel. He, he is God with us. And may we pursue the, the harder, deeper, more glorious truths of a God who saves us from the roars of lions and is with us in our pits. And even more, we look forward to the day when miracles are no longer the exception, but the rule. And when miracles are no longer just glimpses of heaven, but heaven fully realized. And we get to rest peacefully with and like those lions. And we get to do this because Jesus is with us.